Well, hello and welcome to the Mariner. And uh, you join me literally out at sea. I am out on the boat. I'm on Osprey. I'm uh, just passing into the North Sea. That's on the eastern coast of the UK. Um, it's about 10 o'clock at night. And as I go up on deck here, all around me are gas and uh, oil platforms. And ahead of me is a big wind farm, which I'm just having to pick a judicious course around. Uh, the wind is almost directly from astern and I need to bear away even further to get around this wind farm. And I'm just wondering now, I still got like a couple miles to go before I get to it, but I'm wondering if it's time to heat up and just pass to windward of it. Uh, it's been a very interesting day. I'm just nipping back inside the boat here to turn on my uh, compass light, which uh, doesn't seem to be on. Um, it's been a very interesting day. It's been a very interesting couple of days. I've been in the UK, as you uh, may or may not know, if you're watching the YouTube videos uh, for the Mariner. I've been um, having a lot of fun in the UK uh, doing the YouTube videos and using that as a springboard to do a lot of work on the boat. And uh, now I've set off to Iceland, which I've never been to Iceland before. I'm super excited to be uh, on my way there and uh, had a very interesting situation which I needed to deal with as I was, um, yeah, there's no way we're gonna be able to get below this wind farm. <laughs> Let me just tell the autopilot to go the other way. That's not gonna happen. Um, I had a real headache looking at the uh, weather. As I was in the port of Southampton, I'm literally on the very bottom of the UK and then I have to try and work out, am I gonna to go to the west of the UK or am I gonna to go to the east of the UK? And every single time virtually I've left the UK to go anywhere, I'm always heading west down the channel. So there's a natural kind of habit to head that way, as you might imagine. And I quite like the idea of being down there because as a solo sailor, and I'm, I'm sailing this one solo, uh, it's open water now. There's a massive shipping lane going up and down the English Channel, but I am happier that I, there's a, a narrow, no, I'm happy that there's like a hard shoulder essentially, which I can be in as a solo sailor, way away from the shipping lane, and I can uh, keep myself away from the ships and the ships stay away from me. If you're gonna go the other way around the UK, you're heading into literally one of the most busy pieces of water in the world. and. You know, there are some organizations which do shorthanded races out into the channel. You might hear a bit more wind now because we've come up 40 degrees to go above the wind farm. <laughs> I maybe should have made this decision a little earlier. Um, there are a couple of organizations that will do shorthanded uh, trips across the channel, shorthanded races across the channel, but I would never willingly put myself in a situation where uh, I would be in any way a risk to anybody else. You know, first, operational rule of uh, the sea is proceed at a safe uh, speed, rule five, rule six, keep a good wa watch. And that is an issue with solo sailing. So I knew that if I took the choice to go to the east and go into the channel, I literally needed to be awake from, uh, well, from the moment I left Southampton until basically we were through the narrowest part of the channel at Dover. And if, if possible, as far you know north of that as possible. So, um, I looked at the weather, uh, so that's the, that's the kind of like the shipping and the, the issues there. The weather, 
there's a massive low pressure system, northern hemisphere rotating clockwise, coming in over the Atlantic, coming into what is called the Western Approaches. That's the area which is south of Ireland and uh, to the southwest of the bottom of the UK. And uh, when stuff comes in there, you may have heard of Biscay and the fact that the Bay of Biscay is such a terrible place to be in the event of a storm. Well, it absolutely is, and it's particularly bad because it's... Um, uh, I'm just checking that this thing is still recording. This is the first time I'm trying to record like this. <laughs> I'm very suspicious that I'm going to stand here chatting to myself for an hour. Well, there would, nothing would be different there, would it? Okay, but um, it does seem to be recording. But the, uh, that, yeah, Biscay, the, the waves come in off the Atlantic and then it's a bay. So then all of the waves start reflecting and refracting back out of the bay and you get claptiotic waves, which is when waves go into a bay and then reflect back together and slap back together in the middle of the bay or when they go round an island and slap back together on the back side of the island but it means it's very very rough in the Bay of Biscay but it's also very very rough in the western approaches that's where the Fastnet race is uh, conducted it comes from Cowes down past Plymouth round Penzance up to the Fastnet Rock right on the southern tip of Ireland back from the Fastnet Rock back round Penzance and uh, the, the lower corners of Cornwall and then into Plymouth or at least at least to it uh, used it <laughs> oh it's been a long day it used look it used to right <laughs> I think it goes to Cherbourg now I haven't done a Fastnet since it went to started going to Cherbourg um, but the uh, the whole area is uh, a massive shallow bank. If you went back 10,000, 11,000 years ago, that whole area would be above, above the sea level. It's, uh, the, the channel is not that deep, and uh, fishermen regularly dredge up archaeological finds, which are left there by um, Stone Age man. You know, interesting things come up in fishermen's nets, but yeah, sometimes it's literally things that were left there by our ancestors uh, when they lived in the valley between what is now England and, what, and, and France. But it's a very shallow rise that uh, brought the sea level in and over that. So when big waves come in from the Atlantic, you've got the wind, which is, you know, however much of the, the weather system is you're, you're exposed to. So I think I was going to be exposed to 25 knots according to the gribs. But then you've got the waves and that weather system had been sitting there for days. And so I knew as I came out of Southampton and headed west, I would be going into probably a little bit more favorable area in terms of traffic and what have you as i've described but into an area which has got uh, way more wind and big waves and all against me so i actually kind of surprised myself i came down southampton waterway which is shaped a bit like a y uh, at the bottom of the an upside down y you come down southampton waters uh from uh north to south and the bottom of the y uh that is is plugged by the isle of Wight, and basically within a couple of miles of leaving the, the marina, I had to make a decision that was going to affect the next seven days. Am I going left or right here? And I chose to come east and I uh, set off down and round the bottom southeastern corner of the UK. And I made that decision for a couple of reasons. Primarily, um, oh man, I'm going to get a hat. My head is cold. <laughs> the, primarily, it was because of the weather, because I'm just not going to go and drive directly into the teeth of a, um, a storm for no reason. And you know, the gribs are saying 25 knots, which is fine. Oh, I think I've got coffee here as well. God, I hope this recording works because this is a very easy way for me to communicate with you and uh, also get on with my work, which is a dream I've had with this for a very long time. Never seemed to work out. Um, but uh, what was I talking about? Uh, 
Well, look, here's the deal. I decided to come this way and I have uh, I surprised myself. I've only ever, think, sailed this way once previously. The very first time I was ever a captain uh, of a boat on my own, a little uh, 42 foot X yacht in 2008. I uh, brought it out of Southampton or out of Cowes or somewhere. River Hamble maybe, and then brought it over to Kiel, went through the Kiel Canal and went up to Copenhagen. That's the only, oh, I suppose when I did the round the world race with Clipper, we set off from Hull. So I drove a boat up. Oh yeah, that was really rough actually. Okay, look, so once previously I've been up here, it was good. <laughs> and once it was really rough, uh, but whatever, my lasting memory is that it's very, very busy in here. So yesterday afternoon, yesterday evening, um, I got to say, I did work all night the night before I departed, which is not that uncommon for people that are setting off on boats. Mm. Coffee is very good. Um, and uh, that's probably not the best thing to do, obviously, because it's way more beneficial to be well rested before you set off. But whoever in the history of sailing has ever been that organized before they set off. And there's an excitement in it. It's not like I was just completely negligent. There's, you know, I'm excited to go off on my journey and want to get everything right. and did so had a very interesting i'm not going to lose the thread here i'm not going to lose the thread but i'm just going to tell you what happened the night before the boat was um had been moved to the inside of the you gotta you gotta watch these mariner videos on youtube if you're not already the the boat had been moved to the like the inside of the marina and i was down inside this corridor in the marina which was great in terms of protection and a brilliant position in the marina i really great thanks to the guys from um town key marina in southampton really excellent i really enjoyed being there and i'm looking forward to going back very very soon we've got an idea that we're going to actually uh start basing the boat out of southampton so we can get access to more people and more people get access to us but the um i was down in this avenue in the marina and the wind started to come in from this big weather system that i was having to make this decision about and uh it was blowing me off the dock which is you know great wonderful positioning the problem was that I'm 21 foot wide and the corridor that was open was only about 36, 37 foot wide to go down. Now the weather's coming in and I'm like, I have to go. I've got to be in, in, in Iceland on a, on a particular day. How can I get out of here in such a way that I can, uh, you know, like, that's like risk free. I'm not stupid. I'm not going to just untie the lines going to get blown immediately across onto the boats opposite and i can't be racing off down the um corridor to, to get out of the marina because the maneuver i had to do at the end was a 180 degree turn uh and then a 90 degree turn into the wind so there's no way the boat was going to do it so what i did is i knew that there'd be a point during the night where the thermal uh energy might be somewhat um there may be an equilibrium between the temperature of the water and the temperature of the land, which might just buffer out and slow down the wind for a little while. And indeed it happened at around three o'clock in the morning. And I was able single-handed to get the boat off the dock. It's, it's in a video on the YouTube channel. Um, get the boat off the dock and round and into a position where, yeah, I was being blown onto the dock, but at least I was on the outside of the marina. I can kind of go whenever I wanted to go with some spring line action. So, um, so yeah, so that was my night before I set off. And then uh, last night was in the channel, in the English channel. And I was busy, busy with the boat until at two in the morning. And then I started to get out into a bit where there was a, a corridor directly ahead of me, which didn't have any uh, wind farms, didn't have any 
gas installations or shipping lanes or anything. And I was able to go into 20 minutes on uh, sleep uh, and, uh, well, like 20 on, 20 off, kind of, is what it worked out to. Probably more like five on, 20 off, but uh, I was able to get some uh, sleep. So today has been really, really wonderful day. I've had, oh, you know what? There was one thing that happened during the night. That was kind of why I wanted to tell you about it, actually. Um, so I got to about, where would it be? Uh, like Dover? Oh, it was. It was Dover, actually. That's Yeah, it was Dover. Okay, so I got to Dover, and uh, I could see behind me that the clouds had gone completely black. So just to put things in perspective, I'm on Osprey. She's 85-foot uh, uh, length overall uh, maxi. She's 15-foot um, deep. She's 25 tons, which... If you don't know exactly how big boats work, that's very light. You might be easily looking at 40 tons for a boat of this length, maybe if it was steel going up to 50 tons. Um, carbon fiber mast, 120 foot high. And uh, autopilot, and I, I know her very well. I've sailed her already a thousand miles solo. But um, she's, you know, she's a bit of a handful. And the, the only thing I will say is she, she doesn't have um, roller furling headsails. So I have to stick to small headsails, otherwise I get totally overwhelmed dragging and you know, changing those things around. So anyway, we're off Dover and we're on starboard tack, yeah. And uh, I'm down below and I feel a bit of a wiggle and a jiggle and she starts to pick up. And this boat's, I'm normally doing like nine, 10 knots. And I feel a wiggle and jiggle and like, oh, we're doing 11, 12. Like, okay, here comes something. So I, uh, I think I finished up, so I like put my coffee away or something. And I got up on deck and I got halfway down the cockpit and we got hit by this absolute bullet of wind and the boat started to round up. So if you've ever round up in your boat, you know what it's like, like it starts healing over and healing over. But now imagine you're doing it at 15 or 16 knots. I see that the chart plotter has recorded a speed of 15 knots from that, uh, but that would be you know, over the ground and uh, there was tide moving there as well. So I'm not sure exactly what the, the boat speed was, but I'd say fast from the way my, uh, my butt was puckering, but um, I do feel very, very safe in a boat like this. And I have been in those kind of situations many times before. I do also absolutely trust, I have a Raymarine autopilot. I've driven around the world solo with a Raymarine autopilot, and I don't care what people say about B&G or NKE or anything else. Raymarine has proven itself to me, and I like Raymarine gear. I find it very reliable, very easy to understand. I will say, I think the older, uh, Raymarine Autopilot, the X35 that I went around the world with, was in some ways the interaction with it was superior because you felt you had a lot more control. But all the things you were trying to set up, the newer system, this Evo 1 or whatever it is that I've got on here, it seems to do it on its own. But anyway, beside the point, it totally spat the dummy because <laughs> suddenly we're going 90 degrees the wrong direction at like high speed. So I shuffled back to a safe position um, and then uh, disengaged the autopilot. Otherwise, it's just going to freak out. Beep, 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 beep. Tell me I'm off course and that stuff. Disengaged the autopilot. And then when we got onto a beam reach at these high speeds, then re-engaged the autopilot and then shuffled to the main sheet and ease, 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 ease me down the main sheet. Of course, the main is so powerful on a small boat or a big boat that it's very easy for it to overpower the rudder and uh, the autopilot cannot control the boat when it's um, in that situation. So ease down the main, put probably a 45 degree angle on the boom, if not a bit more, no vang, lots of um, twist in the mainsail. And uh, suddenly I was able to uh, ask the autopilot, order the autopilot to bring the boat back down 10 degrees, 10 degrees, 10 degrees, 10 degrees, and get on course. And then we were sitting in front of this squall doing, <laughs> doing 14, 15 knots. And it was really fun, it was really fun. This kind of boat, when you're in that situation, you know, it. Things are going very fast, but it's um, 
it's probably not much faster than like dinghy speed. It's, you know, I don't know what, what does speed does a, if you've got a laser two or, or a laser indeed or something, what kind of speed does one of those do? Like I feel like that's, is 10 or 15 knots about right. There's lots of spray that's, so you're rounding up at like dinghy speeds, but obviously the boat's a lot bigger. Um, so, and also this boat, you know, it's a performance boat. I have 12,000 kilos of lead uh four and a half meters down below the boat so in in, in imperial that's uh <laughs> what is that 20 26,000 pounds 15 feet below the boat something like that um so half of this boat's weight is the keel bulb on the bottom right so even a big wind comes she like leans over but it's not like it's on its side or something that's just not going to happen there's so much uh wind pressure is lost out of the mainsail when the boat heels over even to 30 degrees that well not even 30 degrees 20 degrees um that everything just and she rounds up and that, that's the end of that you know but it was very exciting nay a little fun so uh yeah i thought i'd uh, i'd share that with you so whatever you were doing last night i was uh i was uh, blatting through <laughs> an open wide and safe part of the english channel i just have to underline that i'm not trying to be reckless but um blindly into a <laughs> squall at 15 knots on this boat but um Anyway, so let me describe the situation that's around me, right? We're doing a kind of outside broadcast. Um, the moon is full and uh, to the south of me and uh, the kumataj, the reflection of the moon on the water, extends right from the moon uh, all the way back to the back of the boat, striking the boat on the starboard quarter. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the autopilot is uh, ticking away in the background here. You can probably hear him doing his thing, little Otto. Autopilot, if I open the Lazarette hatch here, you can hear. So this kind of autopilot has a hydraulic pump that's running continuously, and then it just disengages and engages solenoids that redirect the uh, hydraulic fluid to, um, to, to actuate the, uh, the wheels. So we've got two steering wheels on the back of this boat. And um, it's kind of fun because we discovered when we were in Newfoundland, just when we set off uh, like six weeks ago or something, that the, I, had, I had absolutely thought that the that this boat had compass lights, you know, like, it's, of course you got light on the compass, right? But I was pretty sure one of them had gone out and then the other one had gone out. I just kind of got disconnected from which boat I was on. And uh, when we actually uh, took the compasses apart, Nicholas and uh, Mark and Klaus and Danielle and Summer, the crew that were on board and Justin uh, out in Newfoundland, they, um, they were doing all sorts of wonderful jobs on the boat, getting ready to prep and, and depart. And Nicholas is a dab hand with uh, electrical uh, stuff. He works for Siemens. So they, I was like, hey, can you change the bulbs in the, in the, in the nav lights? So he gets the compasses, uh, not the nav lights, sorry, the compass lights. He gets the compasses out of their little wells and discovered there are no lights in them. So being the, uh, the electrician that he is, he was able to look through the electrical bag, which uh, I think by the time you get this recording, you'll be able to go on uh, YouTube and I've started doing this series of videos which are about like what tools do I take to see so I did a one on the rigging bag which I released before I left and then another one is scheduled to be released like just about now actually which is what's in the electrical spares on this boat because uh, people seem to were saying to me like what do you take with you how can you go and travel thousands of miles offshore m months at a time with just what tools do you take what spares do you take to make that happen so i thought i'd do a video about it but anyway he looked in there and of course as an electrician he sees what i i don't and he was able to grab some diodes and make uh make up this little array of diodes so i've got two compasses blaring away because he um he made it so it really lights up so i'm just looking in here now it's kind of hilarious they're um they're like 
really bright. <laughs> like I'm having to keep the, the little uh, shields that, that pull over the top of the compasses. Uh, they're like so bright that I'm having to like almost close those down, but it's a bit like 70s uh, disco. We have a bit of um, superstition by uh, uh, Stevie Wonder would be perfect now with these nav lights, but um, the wheels are going, the nav lights uh, are burning, of course, fore and aft, uh, and the top of the mast, the compass lights are blaring out into the night. Uh, we've got our port backstay on, we're on uh, port jibe, and uh, the, the cockpit's very tidy. I've been doing a job just before, it's dark now, I should also mention, obviously the moon's up, you kind of guessed that, but just before dark I was doing a little job to relabel the uh, hydraulic um, controls which control the outhaul and the uh, vang and uh, something on the backstays and what have you. Um, down below we've got the LED lights on inside the boat. There's a job I'm looking to do with the LED lights. This boat has got this set of LED lights that run kind of in little aprons below the cupboards above the seating on either side of the salon and the previous owners I think they did a corporate gig out of Italy or at some point in the boat's life it did a corporate job out of Italy and they've uh, elected to have blue lights uh, running under those aprons which is totally useless really um, so I've got all new red lighting to go in there but the only problem is it's 12 volt lighting it's a 24 volt system and I I thought I had a converter that could take me from 24 to 12 volts but of course when I wired it up it's uh, it doesn't work so I've still got my blue lights going down in the uh, in the uh, uh, through the companionway hatch there I can see and then on the foredeck I've got my foredeck light on <clears throat> I have a lovely LED foredeck light you know you can get those are they four inch four inch or six inch six inch sealed beam units like the ones that minis used to have in them they uh, they pull huge amounts of power hey they're like 35 watts or something so they uh, no good for the battery unless you have to have it on you don't want to have it on but they do LED ones now which are about I was gonna get another one in the UK but ended up not doing it, it was 50 pounds in the UK about 50 or 60 dollars in Canada and um, the foredeck is beautifully lit up and it allows me to see the trim of the jib perfectly and it also I find it really really clearly identifies me in this kind of situation out here on the uh, very very crowded uh, English Channel as a sailing boat and I would not in any way attempt to enforce the you know the the rights that the collision regulations give to me onto a ship or a fishing boat or, well I couldn't enforce it on a fishing boat but I don't try and enforce my position in the hierarchy here as a, as a sailing boat but I do like people to know look I am a sailing boat there's only a certain number of directions I can go here um, and also to be absolutely honest it's quite jolly. <laughs> That's one of the other reasons I've learned to drive around with a four-deck light on. I know, I know, you don't have to write in and tell me that it's not the correct lights to be showing at night, but in the real world, <laughs> there's two options. In the real world, uh, loads of working boats, dredgers, all sorts of container ships, fishing boats, they all have working lights on their decks, right? That's a reality. The other reality is that people go, oh, you lose your night sight. Lose my night sight? The moon is like a million watt searchlight just over the back of the boat here. And everything is lit up like Christmas. I'm looking at this wind farm. There's probably 40 red lights flashing away here and, and five different support vessels around it. There is no night vision. Um, oh, and you know what? I've today, I can, oh, there he is. Wow. So there's loads of, um, of, uh, aircraft moving around in this area. I've had Ospreys go past, the ones that the Marines use. Oh yeah, baby. I like trying to flash my head torch at them. Once in a while they'll flash back. Now that's, you can, I don't know if you can hear that in the background, but it's rumble. I heard this um, rumble earlier today and uh, it was um, 
tornadoes, uh, British uh, fighter jets, and they were like practicing dogfighting with each other, but they're, they're actually setting off flares and dropping those, which I've never seen that before. So um, the stars are out and the, uh, the, the Big Dipper is directly ahead of me. I'm literally heading like almost exactly north right now, uh, or I, I guess I should be. Maybe I was before I, <laughs> before I started dodging around this wind farm. But yeah, the Fordeck light. So loads of people, they want to they wanna sail like they're in the military, like they're doing like tactical, undercover, nighttime sailing activities for leisure. And it makes no sense to me whatsoever. I've said this to loads of people before. When they come on the boat, they're like, oh, I've got to have a torch with red light. Like, a torch with red light? Do you spend a lot of your nights under red light? Because it's very different. I know that when LED lighting came out and they were using it on super yachts, there was a massive increase in the number of people that were having uh, injuries. I think it's also um, collated or, or related, rather, to um, uh, when LED head torches came out. There's a lot more accidents with people falling over because the shadows are different and depth perception is different in monochrome light and LED light an LED is actually turning on and off like you know is it thousands or tens of thousands or I don't know hundreds of thousands of times a second but it's um it creates different kinds of shadows different depth perception and people you can have more accidents because you're working with uh, with monochrome light the other thing is that you have all these different colored ropes on your boat if you sail like I sail 50% at night and 50% in the daytime right so I have multicolored ropes on the boat so that 50% of the time I can see there's a difference if I'm going to use monochrome light and uh, the price increase I've mentioned this previously the massive price increase you get for buying a hundred foot, two hundred foot of rope at a go. When you buy, you know, I'm buying Dyneema, 12, 14 mil Dyneema. If I buy that on the spool at a thousand feet, it is not expensive. It's like two or three foot per, two or three foot, two or three dollars per foot. Um, if I buy it in the chandlery, it's like six or seven dollars per foot because you're only asking for short amounts. Oh, I just want 200 foot of a thousand foot roll. So there's a massive price hike. If I'm going to be really, if that's the thing, I'm doing like undercover nighttime tactical sailing for leisure and I'm going to be doing it under monochrome light, then I should just go and buy all the same color ropes. Like tall ships, they're all the ropes the same color. Classic yachts, all the ropes the same colors. Fishing boats, all the ropes the same colors. Uh, super yachts, like classic super yachts, all the same colors. There's a very narrow band of people that are using multicolored ropes on boats and they're all paying out the yin-yang for, for those ropes. So I think for keeping the usefulness of the color of the ropes, white light. For avoiding issues relating to depth perception, white light. The, clearly, there is an issue with night blindness if you, if you really do have a problem with that. Um, but you, what you need to do is just have a, a culture on board. You say, look, I'm turning my torch on. And then the person is driving or the watch leader who wants to still be able to see out over the side of the boat can just close one eye for a minute. Like, it doesn't, it's not that hard. So uh, I have my four deck light on, so my night sight is totally ruined, but it looks amazing. <laughs> the whole front of this boat's lit up. Got this nice white jibs pulling hard. I've got the, uh, the, the wind farm blinking away over here to starboard, and it's a beautiful night. And I also feel fortified by the fact that in a parallel universe, 
uh, Western Chris, who the Chris that went west, uh, is still beating into 25 knots with huge waves off the south coast of Ireland, if I've even got there. To be absolutely honest, I thought that the weather routing going that way was very, very optimistic. I'm not sure the weather routing was really taking into uh, consideration the tides in the channel uh, or the, the effect of waves on the uh, speed of the boat. There are different kind of polars that you can put in with waves, but uh, I don't think it was doing that. Um, it fortifies my heart to know that Western Chris uh, is <laughs> having a really miserable time of it. And I've been Western Chris so many times, I'm really happy to be out here. But ahead of me now, I do have to contend with the fact that the weather report has changed since when I set off and that low pressure has moved across onto the centre of the UK and then it's uh, going to move over to the uh, North Sea here. Western Chris has still got an issue because there's a massive wind hole behind that. Um, it had been sitting there for literally three or four days and I saw on the weather forecast, I don't know anything about weather forecasting compared to a professional meteorologist so I'm not throwing my cap in the ring here but if you've got a weather system which has been sitting somewhere for quite a long time obviously held up by a high pressure ridge somewhere behind it it's even a squall what's behind a squall like a, a big lull right so behind a big weather system that's i don't know a thousand miles across like there's going to be a massive low behind it and yet the weather uh forecasts are all like oh no no there's going to be 10 or 15 knots behind it i'm like uh-huh uh-huh i've been hooked in with this previously and i'm not going for it a second time or a third time or a hundredth time and um indeed now this uh low pressure as it's leapt across the uk which they they said it wasn't going to do they said i was going to go all the way up the north sea here with wind coming from the south which i've seen almost none of um Indeed, over on the west coast of Ireland, a massive hole is opening up and I would have been in that. So I'm really happy with where I'm at. It also means that after I finished chatting to you and, and connected with my, my partner at home and found out how my little boy Isaac's doing and uh, all the normal things of life and had something to eat, I can actually get some sleep going up here. There is nothing ahead of me. There's no shipping lanes. It's a little bit too deep for fishing boats. And I'll still be on my 20 minutes. When I say I'm going to get sleep, I mean that for four or five hours, I can in and out, in and out, 20 minutes on, 20 minutes off. And I find that very, uh, although I know, you know, long-term doing this with my sleep patterns is not good, but um, it's just a, a necessary evil of the thing that I love doing, which is sailing like this. So, yes, yeah, so I am out on the ocean doing the thing with the boat. I've been doing a lot of work on the YouTube channel. If you haven't already, go and check that out. I've mentioned it a few times already in this podcast. <clears throat> I'm really trying to like make this what we do. The, the realities of the economic situation I'm in with the charter company that I uh, own and have been running for the last five or six years, coronavirus has totally changed the landscape. I'm now in contact with four different business owners who I worked with who had their own race uh, charter businesses before coronavirus. They're all either out the business, bankrupt or looking to get out of it. Uh, there's very few people that are staying in it and I'm going to have to really make uh, some intelligent decisions here so that I can <coughs> you know, create a, an economic uh, future for my family and so that I can pay back people who... I did a, a YouTube video about this a couple uh, weeks ago now called um, Problems Plus Solutions Equals Lots of Sailing. And it's uh, I'm left with an economic reality having um, been running a company which was operational before COVID and then we had loads of things that we had to cancel during that COVID period. Some people wanted their money back, understandably. Some people wanted to uh, take credit. By the time I've done this trip out of Iceland, which I'm heading up to now, we'll have basically paid back all of the credit uh, that we had with folks, leaving just the refunds. And I need to find a way to pay those things back. And as I say, all the people I know are getting out of it, basically, there's no way forward. And the thing that is like a little, you know, maybe a little bit light at the end 
of the tunnel is that people are interested to consume this kind of content through the podcast, uh, through YouTube, and then to connect and, and, and uh, support that through Patreon. And that little three-point triangle, I'm trying to develop that. So I've been uh, doing a lot more videos on YouTube and trying to understand how the algorithm works and get my videos in front of more people. Um, and then the podcast, I'm going to fortify what I'm doing here with a schedule, which I know that a lot of people enjoy the, the content, but one thing that's frustrating is you don't know when it's going to come out and when it's not going to come out and all the rest of it. So that's, uh, that's on me. There's a lot been going on in my life as there's been a lot been going on in your life. But now it's like, okay, to make this work, this is what I need to do. Consistency, scheduling. So it's like, okay, we can do that. And one of the ways I thought that I can make that happen is do these outside broadcasts. So having attempted to do this a number of times before and been thwarted by all sorts of technical issues, um, I've bought, uh, actually so that I can listen to audiobooks, a like call center headset. I actually bought it in a dollar store or a pound store in the UK. Then I thought, well, I can just plug this straight in my phone and record a podcast. So I don't know how this is going to come out. I don't know if you'll ever even hear this. I might throw it away. Maybe I am just a man in a jumper, drinking coffee in the middle of the night, talking to himself on a boat in the English Channel. But maybe, just maybe, I'm a man in a jumper drinking coffee in the English Channel with a headset on talking to himself and it's going to go somewhere and it's the beginning of a nice way of... of um, sharing what I'm uh, got uh, what I've got going on here you know it's uh, I love this kind of sailing and for the longest longest time my greatest passion has been sharing it with people and I just realized the way the world's changed now like it's not it's not as easy as it was once before so yeah now okay so I've got something for you I have got something for you now if you're the kind of person that's actually listened through to this point in the uh, in the podcast then I literally have something for you because I know that you are then interested in this kind of content and you're interested in uh, you know what you can kind of get out of it for yourself I have actually got a partner <laughs> can you believe it I've actually got a partner for the podcast and for the YouTube channel I have actually got somebody what it is I'll be a totally upfront about it is that um, I had such a hard time at the beginning of this year getting insurance for the boats that uh, we had to actually cancel one of the uh, events, the Regatta del Sol al Sol. It created a massive problem for me and a massive extra debt, which I'm uh, having so much trouble with. But the point being that we ended up having to look and look and look and look, went through like 40 different insurance brokerages, trying to get somebody who would insure us our insurance got pulled out from under us. A lot of insurance companies pull out of risky policies they're involved in or what they saw as risky policies um, when the uh, conflict in the Ukraine started. And we had our race rider removed from our policy by our insurance company, so we, that's why we couldn't do that event. <clears throat> so we started looking and looking and looking. Now, we've got a 25-year-old, 80-foot composite boat that we invite the public onto to do racing events. Like, can you see why that might be a little bit tricky to insure? But lo and behold, actually, a tip given to me by my great friend, um, Gilles Barbeau of uh, Esprit de Corps Racing, he uh, put me in touch with uh, Edward William. And Edward William is not a person, although I guess it was originally, but they're an insurance company. They're based in the Balearics, and they specifically do marine insurance policies. And I connected with them, and literally in 24 hours from doing an instant quote online on their website, then talking to one of their brokers and getting the details worked out, I had a quote which was... Um, 
good for two million US dollars public liability, which a lot of the big marinas are asking for now. Um, covered all the crew coming on the boat, 18 crew, unpaid crew, that is the people that are coming onto the boat, covered them, <coughs> pardon me, uh, covered me doing stuff single-handed, which is amazing, and covered us for races anywhere we want to go and basically any geography we wanted to be in. Like, I could not believe that we were just suddenly this, <coughs> pardon me, this forever issue that I've had with this company and uh, insurance had just gone away. And then, lo and behold, when the actual cost came through, it was half numerically half of what I'd been paying to a big generalized insurance company to insure this previously. And then I thought, well, hang on, maybe I can offer it to the people that listen to the podcast and listen to the YouTube channel. They said, yes, indeed, you'll get a commission off anybody who books having gone through a link. So I'm like, okay, but it doesn't feel like super perfect. So I asked them if I could half my commission and, um, and share with you guys a discount. And they ummed and ahed and backs and forwards. We worked out a deal and it's, uh, it, it, it's kind of come true. So I can offer you a 10% discount on your marine insurance policy. Now the kickback to me is the other half. Whatever you're saving, that is what I'm getting from putting you through to them. That's the deal. That's how podcasts work. I'm totally upfront about this. If you're new to this, uh, you know, all this stuff that we do behind the scenes, making YouTube stuff and that, it's either adverts or it's by partnerships. This is how it goes. But you get money off your insurance policy and then I also get a little bit of that back uh, into my uh, coffers to make all this happen. Otherwise, I'm just doing <laughs> thousands of hours of editing and filming and, uh, and, and uploading and all the rest of it for nothing. But um, yeah, it means 10% of your marine insurance. The link is going to be in the description of all YouTube videos and the podcast information from now on. So if you want to connect, see what that's about, follow the link. It'll automatically apply the discount. And, um, you know, I'm going up the the channel here and I'm feeling pretty happy about the fact that everything's covered, everything's legal, everything's good. Uh, I'm single-handing my 85-foot boat. It's in the policy. I can do that. And I just, I, you know, I want to, that's why I asked them, like, can I do this? Because I know insurance is a massive issue for a lot of people with boats. Either it's the kind of boat you've got, the kind of sailing you're doing, a lot of cruising people, the insurance is so expensive that you just, some people decide not to bother with it. And I, I, I understand where that comes from. Or there's a kind of race event you're involved in or <clears throat> whatever it is. Talk to Edward William, edwardwilliam.com, but follow the link that's in the description. You're going to get that 10% off if you go for a policy. And uh, yeah, that's it. We have a partner. So I probably won't go into it as many, as deeply in the future as I have done here. We'll keep it to a normal you know, one minute that you've got to <laughs> live through. But I wanted to share that with you. I thought it was pretty cool. Like, I'm feeling pretty good about that. So the new direction is to <clears throat> try and do whatever I can with the uh, sailing stuff. And I started to realize that there's some really good sailing channels out there. Um, there's not many which are run by people who, uh, like, have got a lot of sailing experience. Uh, you know, uh, I, I want to connect with all of them. I want to see what people are doing. But I, I do have, like, a kind of un unusual sailing background. I think I became very... Um, disenchanted for a while when I see things like uh, Sailing La Vagabond, SV Delos, um, Sailing Doodles is it called? I'll try and act like I don't know what that is. Um, Barefoot Sailing, uh, Sailing Miss Lone Star. Like I see those things coming up and they're like sailing but then they're just all the clicks they're getting is just because there's loads of flash showing in the thumbnail or there's maybe you know, has she got her bikini on or not in the in the title or in the in the actual content? I, for a long while, I was like, well, dang, you know, like, 
that just makes me sad that that's the best that sailing's gone. I actually did some research the other day, and of the top 25 sailing videos uh, in the last seven years on YouTube, only three of them don't involve a flashy thumbnail, a flashy title, or flashy content. Um, but someone pointed out to this to me, and it's like, they're not actually about sailing, really. They're lifestyle. They're blogs. They're about you know people that are sailing in beautiful, sandy places. What I've got going on is something totally different, and there's maybe value in that for people that are listening. So I was like, ah, okay, all right. So that's given me, a, that's, you know, fortified again my, my kind of mental mindset towards it. So, so here we go. So uh, I know I've turned over a few leaves previously regarding <laughs> regularity uh, of the content, but wait, you know, that's what autumn's about, right? So yeah, that's my, f I'm not going to keep talking and talking and talking here because I don't even know if this is actually going to be something that's usable, but I'm just passing a... Um, Oh, no, okay, I've got a ship here. I've got a ship here. <clears throat> it has. Um, whew, it's got a lot of working lights on the deck, which is what I was saying. He's looking across at me, and now he knows I've got my working lights on, but I'm uh, working lights on a sailing vessel. But he has got a light combination of uh, a, t uh, a high white all-round light at the back and a high all-round white light at the front. And he has another light combination, which is red above white above red, red, white, red. And I can see a green light. So there's my question to you. He has got two lights. The one at the back is higher than the one at the front. And both of those are all round white lights. He has another set of lights, which is all round red, all round white, all round red, one above the other. And then I can see a green light. So my question to you, you have to write to csmthemariner at gmail.com. You have to send me a question about something you want to know about in sailing. That's how we're going to make this content on this podcast. Otherwise, it's going to be me jabbering on. And you, uh, in the draw, I, okay, I, I have got some very cool Spartan Ocean Racing caps. You are in a draw for a competition. If you can tell me what that light characteristic on that ship that I'm sailing past me is about. Two lights, one at the back higher than the one at the front all round white and then red white red and a green light which i'll give you a hint i can only see on this side of the boat so you do your thing write to csmthemariner at gmail.com if you've got the correct uh, answer to that uh, i will answer your question and uh, on the podcast which you know you're going to get good value because i talk like uh, i talk the leg off an iron pot and uh, you be in the draw somebody will win one of these cool spartan ocean racing hats which i've got so there we go uh, I've got an offer where you can save money on your insurance and a way you can get um, a hat, maybe. <laughs> and if you go over to Patreon, there's a way there you can get in a draw. If you go and have a look at that, there's a way you can get a draw there to win a transatlantic trip. So who knows? And Justin, my man Justin, if you're listening, Justin, he just did a transatlantic trip from us, one of our, with us, one of our Patreon uh, supporters. And I, I hope, I think, enjoyed it very much. So that's all from me as I glide past my little wind farm here hopefully i'll be able to get back on course soon remember i'm still 20 degrees up i'm driving like northwest here i really want to be going just uh west of north i'm doing 7.5 knots but i have two knots are tied against me so hopefully when that comes around we'll be up more about nine knots we'll be back on course and uh wherever you are whatever you're doing i hope that you are safe and sound and i look forward to talking to you in the next one cheers Geez, well, I hope that worked.